I'm Elaine Shannon. I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast where we inspire and empower you to connect more soulfully to yourself. In this episode of Soul Sister Conversations, we speak with Laverne Stewart, a best-selling author of fiction and non-fiction books of the spiritual realm. You might remember her from her days as an investigative reporter on CTV News. As a result of years of witnessing traumatic scenes, she speaks to us about her healing from trauma and now how she helps heal others through her writing. Well, good morning, Elaine. Well, good morning, Dana. I'm pretty excited about our guest today. As we always As we are. always are. I think we, we say are. that every time. Well, I love having these conversations, and I think this is going to go down an interesting path today, and I never am certain what's going to reveal itself, but um, i always good. excited to have these conversations. So our guest today is Laverne Stewart. Now, some people listening might recognize this name. Uh, she is a critically acclaimed best-selling author of nonfiction books, Angels and the Afterlife, and the healing after homicide, the Jackie Clark story. She has captivated readers with her two previous fiction books, Haunted Heart and The Coven of the Soul Sisters, coincidentally. Yes. <laughs> and her work as a writer has been a lifelong journey. She is a 30-year award-winning journalist. She spent 11 years with CTV as a news magazine investigative reporter before she made the leap to print journalism. And she is now a political communications director. Welcome, Laverne Stewart. Well, thank you for having me. Welcome to Soul Sisters. And it was interesting when we were reading the bio and we were looking and I sent Dana the message. I said, Dana, she's a book, got a book, and it's got the Soul Sisters in it. But are we all Soul Sisters, really? Uh, aren't we? I, we are. I think, well, yes, but here's the thing, Laverne. I, I don't know that a lot of women feel like they are part. Of, I think they feel like they're part of the outside of things. And, and so but, if they, but if they were to recognize, if they could see that there's so much power in coming together as women, uh, you know, supporting one another, cheering one another on, um, you know, in good times and, and being that shoulder in bad times, I mean, the world would be so much better. Uh, and, and I think we're, we're coming back to what we were many years ago when women gathered together in ceremony to honor one another and to honor the planet. And we are coming back to our time of power as women. Oh, that, that is so interesting that you started like that, because um, why do you think that is that we're coming back to that or what's making you believe that? Because I think it's I think beautiful. we're just recognizing, you know, uh, we're recognizing we're we're rediscovering what we knew centuries ago. I mean, women uh, were tribal healers and elders, and you know the wise ones. And um, and then there was a, a period in history where you know the w- women were basically relegated to feeders and breeders. You know, be yes. know your place. Uh, you know, take care of the the man in your the men in your life. Um, the church, uh, uh, you know, four or five hundred years ago, decided that uh, women were not to have a place as healers and midwives, um, and anybody who uh, was caught doing so, you know, could 
could be and often were uh, accused of witchcraft, and they were, you know, they were eliminated. Taken and we're, out, bur- yeah, yeah. Mi- put it mildly, <laughs> they were eliminated. But we, and we are still, here we are, you know, in 2019, and we are still feeling the effects of that, aren't we, Laverne? Well, you know, we are, because, and, and I think that's what's happening in uh, certain parts of the world. Um, when I look at, uh, you know, the uh, war on reproductive rights of uh, women in, south of the border mm-hmm. in many states, um, you know, I, I think we're, you know, we're, some people would like to see us go back in time where women did not, you know, we... We fought hard. Our, our mothers and grandmothers and, and, and men uh, who understand that a woman's body is her body and only a woman has a right to choose for herself what happens with her body. Uh, you know, we're, I, I think that's part of the reason why I wrote Coven of the Soul Sisters. It was a response to what I, I see happening in parts of the world, in, you know, especially in the U.S. right now, which is, is really concerning to me. And how long ago did you write The Coven of the Soul Sisters, Laverne? Well, it was published a year ago. And I, it, it, I wrote it over probably about six months. So I would have been writing it in in 2017, and it was published in October of 2018. So um, you know, it it the book t- talks about there's it it's in two parts. The first part takes a look at healers and midwives in um, Ireland in 1692, and the main character uh, is part of a tribe of women who are healers and midwives who are being accused of by the church of witchcraft. Uh, so the main character, her name is Hesaba Parsons. She sees um, her um, her friends being executed, and she, and then she she knows that she's under suspicion. So she and her husband escape to um, Maine. In um, 1692, they board a, a vessel and go to Maine. Well, trouble finds her there because she takes up, you know, her purpose in life as a healer and midwife, and trouble finds her there. And then the second half of the book um, explores what happens to the reincarnated versions of the the women in the first half of the book, who also are, you know, being targeted because they're troublemakers. Uh, and it's it just you know, and the second half of the book is 2018. So I think it was a response to you know everything. There's nothing new on this planet. You know, we re we repeat yes over and over yeah. over and over again. Unless we you know we learn what we need to learn in life, it keeps repeating. So in 2018, you know, to some degree, we're not being burned at the stake as we were. 500 years ago, um, but women are feeling, um, you know, to some degree, a lot of, still, a lot of oppression and and by those who would like to put us back in a box. Mm. 
And I think you're you're so right what you talked about. If we come together as women, there's so much power in that. And I'm reading a book right now, uh, rereading John Kabat-Zinn, and um, it's wherever you go, there you are. And I was reading a section last night where he talked about, you know, there used to be uh, people who taught our children about their emotional body, and that it was it was the elders, and so people like the women who would teach people about their emotional side of things. And over time, that has gotten lost, and it made me think about also the sort of issues that we have teenagers and people suffering with right now is that we've lost somehow that that connection that coming togetherness to share the information about how to move through life and he was talking about from the emotional body so it's kind of making me feel like that role that women used to play um as you said we've gone to feeders and breeders or you know but away from the emotional nurturing and that there's actually a, a return to that and and you spend a lot of time writing about the, those sorts of things now i do and I, you know I think the 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 Coven of the Soul Sisters book was a response to what I see happening in history. The majority of what I write about uh in fiction and nonfiction is about um healing, emotional well being, um and and moving forward after trauma. And I think um part of that is uh my own need to heal. After 30 years as a journalist, I uh, often went to, you know, very horrific situations, car accidents, where, you know, sometimes I would arrive before fire and, and police arrived. And, you know, you can't unsee it once you've seen it. And it's called, uh, I've, I've done a lot of therapy for myself, uh, going going in and seeking counsel from professionals. And um, I think that uh, part of the therapy for me was writing my way home mm. from that trauma. Mm. So writing was a way, was cathartic for you to make sense of uh, Absolutely. what you were Absolutely. You know, um, exploring, you know, the, the, the deep-seated uh, pain mm. um, that, uh, that, you know, over time, they do call it cumulative trauma. And, uh, you know, while I wouldn't have been... Um, face-to-face with trauma victims, people, you know, the, the people who had been murdered and, you know, those who who succumbed to motor vehicle accidents and fires, I was watching it, you know, from a distance. But from the sidelines. Right. Yes. Uh, and in some cases, you know, getting there and, and being very up close, um, you know, as I said, getting there prior, before, you know, the first responders. First responders, and, and thank God we have a critical incident stress debriefing for these first responders. Lord knows, you know, they need all of the help. And, you know, we are so fortunate to have people who are willing to, you know, be on the front lines and, and handle some of the worst situations possible. Um, they have that, but never once in in my role as a journalist was I ever offered um, any any trauma, any counseling. By you know they would they would say, well, here's a number, call it, you know, if you feel you need help. But oftentimes, people who are in trauma don't ever reach out. They you know they have to be led by the hand and told you are going to sit down here, you're going to talk this through, you're going to get the counseling you need. So. You know, I went off on my own and, and did that work, but part of my healing was the writing my way through it. And, 
you know, I did find a, it was cathartic. It was healing. And I can talk about things now without becoming a blubbering mess over it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's so important because we think of, we know first responders and, and the kind of stress that they're put out under. We've I've never thought about the reporters and people who show up on the scene who also witness that trauma. And then are just sort of left by the wayside. Right, yeah. There was another well, word that you mentioned, vicarious trauma. Yep. So what it, what is vicarious trauma? Well, it's 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 a uh, you're not immediately you're not face to face with someone who has say you know is a someone who's bleeding out from a yes. car accident, but you're witnessing it. You know, it's it's your it's not a you know direct encounter with that victim that situation, but you are seeing the effects. Of, of that. You are experiencing it as a witness to right. that event. Right, and you're watching yeah. the other people help other people in the, the responders help the people in the car accidents and just the high, right. high emotions and, and distress you know, that people I are remember, under. I remember it, it like, and you never forget the sounds and the smells and everything associated with an incident like that. I was 22 years old when I was sent to my first fatal um and it was a a nurse in st john she had she had finished her night shift she was on her way home she was about the same age as me she was crossing um an unmarked railroad crossing i think it was in quispam sis or rossi around that area there were no there were no um, lights and there were no, there was no, they didn't have any warning. She was mm-hmm. crossing it and then the train uh, T-boned her car. So I arrived shortly after uh, along with the guy I worked with at CTV and to this day I cannot forget the image of them loading her remains into the back of an ambulance. It was un that was unrecognizable as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of those, I mean, every situation that I ever experienced uh, with a traumatic event, I, can, I re- can recall in detail. And if you ask anybody who has experienced that sort of trauma, they will tell you the same thing. And, and each time you go to the next situation, you recall every other situation you've ever been to. And that's that um, cumulative trauma. It is. So what right? so if people are listening, Laverne, and, and they're and this may trigger some people. So that that's the thing is when, when we're listening or we're and there there might be somebody, you know, listening to the podcast and going, Oh my gosh, this happened to me. I I did witness this and I and now I'm kind of triggered by listening to this podcast. Like what what would would people do at this point? Well, you know, my best advice is not to not to sit with it by yourself. You need to you need to find someone, anybody, um, you know, that you trust. Uh, to they call it holding space that the person can you know just be with you. You can talk talk it out if you're not able to you know um, process it yourself. Sometimes, you know, definitely there are people who are trained in post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression. You know, I, I mean, the best thing I did was to seek counseling. I saw um, clinical psychologist Joan Wright 
um, and uh, she diagnosed me with PTSD um, several years ago, and I started the work to to heal. Um, I had no idea. I I really didn't, and and many people don't know that they are suffering from the effects of trauma. Uh, it it's suppressed, but it you know it's like when you bury garbage, it's still there. And you know if you keep piling garbage on top of garbage, eventually it 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 will find its way out. It it will it refuses to stay buried. And and um, so I came to a breaking point, I would say probably uh, it was while I was uh, working on my first book, that would have been about nine, eight, nine years ago, Um, and then I started working on the second book. I didn't know that I was going to write A Healing After Homicide, but that was the start of the work that helped me, you know, work my way out of trauma, and... uh, so she, uh, I went to her, and uh, she really helped guide me through. She's an expert in PTSD in New Brunswick. And that's what, so that's what you want is somebody who has an expertise in, in this type of, uh, of, of trauma. Oh, yeah, because there's, there's very specific uh, work that needs to be done to help people who, who have experienced trauma. And it doesn't matter if you're a first responder or a you know journalist or anybody that's experienced anything. If you are if you are experiencing um, you know flashbacks, if you're have you know to to incidents, uh, if if certain smells and sounds trigger you and take you right back to that moment, even though it may have happened years prior, you know you've got you likely have. Um, have some trauma that's suppressed and 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 uh, and it affects every area of your life. And, and is so, that how I it mean, showed up for you, Laverne? Um, I really, like I said, every time I would go to um, another incident when I was still working as a journalist, I would go home at night and re replay the tape in my head, you know, all mm. the images and everything. And it would, you know, I, I like to say all the ghosts would come out and, you know, do their little death dance. Uh, mm. we, you know, I would, it would mess me up for days after. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not one that um, self-medicates with alcohol or drugs. But there's nothing like a quart of ice cream and a cake that won't cure. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, I self-medicated with food and, and, you know, still do sometimes. So it's, you know, everybody has their way of coping or, or what they think is what they need at the time. Uh, so I just, whoever is listening, if, if they've experienced anything that they can't let go of or, you know, I would say you've got to reach out to someone who is an expert in, in the field and, and it demands to be addressed. It will, it will come out and it will affect your relationships, your life overall, unless you do the work. And it is work to heal, but it's so worth it. Mm. 
And even if you think it's insignificant, because I, I think that there's a lot of people maybe, you know, walking around going, oh, well, that wasn't such a big deal. I can handle this, right? Don't be a wuss. And, you know, so we've been sort of conditioned in our lives not to ruffle feathers or to, to inconvenience the people around us. Because when you go on a healing journey, it does inconvenience the people around you. Yeah, and, you know, I think we are getting better as a society in in recognizing why it, it is so important to deal with our emotional health because we are so much more than our bodies, you know, our, our, our spiritual health, our emotional health, our physical health. We have to take care of all of that. And, you know, if you don't take care of the emotional, spiritual health of your, you know, who you are, then the other aspects of your life will suffer. I mean, you you know, a lot of people who have health conditions are the result of pent-up trauma and stress and anxiety and depression, and it comes out physically, you know, with um, you're unable to sleep, you have poor digestion, you know, you, your body is full of aches and pains. It's all your body's response to that stress and trauma. And, and I know that um, when I was doing a little bit of research, when you started writing, uh, and I, it said that you had no intention of writing the book, It Found Me, and that was referring to the story of uh, Jackie Clark, who was the eight-year-old eight year little right. girl who, who unfortunately was abducted, um, sexually assaulted, and murdered in Fredericton in 1995. And I'm curious about all this trauma and healing. Do you? And I know you're spiritual. Uh, do you feel like that topic chose you? For a reason. Absolutely, there was no way I hadn't. I absolutely did not want to write that book. I, you right. know, I had uh, in my research for the first book, Angels in the Afterlife. I spoke to a lot of intuitive people, um, and there were a couple of psychic mediums who told me I needed to reach out to Jackie's mother because she was stuck in this place of grief and she couldn't move past and. There were so many other people, firefighters, police officers, her teachers, uh, fellow students who were still stuck in the place of trauma and grief 15 years after that little girl's abduction and murder. And so they, these psychic mediums were telling me, you know, she has been trying to connect with her mother and She's showing her signs, but she's not seeing them. And she wants you to call her mother and say that she wants to talk to her and she wants you to connect her with us. And I said, are you freaking kidding me? I am not. I am not going to call that woman up. Why would she want to hear from a reporter who covered her daughter's abduction and murder? She wouldn't. I'm not doing it. Well, they said, trust us, she's more okay with this than you are. And I said, well, I wouldn't have any clue how to find this woman because it's been 15 years, I don't know how to find her. And so one of the psychic mediums said... uh, Here's her address? (laughs) (laughs) No, she said, Jackie says it's in the file, you have the file. Oh Oh my gosh. And I said, the file, oh, the newspaper clipping file. So I went to the newspaper clipping file on that case, and I said, oh, okay, well, so I I figured out how to locate her, and I said, well, I have a number, and I was terrified. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it, but 
I said, okay, well, fine, I'll call and um, I'll give her your contact information and then I, I'll, I'm done. I thought, okay, I'm going to wash my hands of this and whatever happens is none of my business. So I remember picking up the phone. I was shaking. I was so nervous and I, dial, yeah, I dialed the number and Jackie's mother answered. I don't remember the conversation, really. It's a blank. I, I only remember, please don't think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I blurted out that, you know, a psychic medium was trying to make contact with her because her daughter from the other side wanted to reach out to her and share things with her. And uh, I hung up. I wished her well. I told her I was sorry for bothering her. I hung up the phone. And about two hours later, I get a phone call from the psychic medium saying, Jackie's mother um, is, you know, has the, her first uh, sentence, she said, was, what's taken so long? Mm. I've been waiting for years. Wow. It still makes me emotional. Oh, Laverne. Mm. I've been waiting for years to, to, for something. And, you know, it, it was 15 years. And so um, I said, well, isn't that lovely that she's going to get something that she needs? And she said, yes, um, you know, later this week I'm meeting with Jackie's mom and, uh, and she wants you there. And I said, oh. why did she want me there? I don't need to be there. And she said, she wants you there. So I said, okay, well, if she wants me there, I'll go. And we spent, later that week, we spent three hours uh, together um, and and Jackie's mom heard things that only she knew. She said there's no way that any psychic could have looked any of the information that she received. There's no way she could have found. It was personal. It was private. It was, uh, it was stuff only that was shared between a mother and a daughter. And, and I describe it in the book as a holy moment. Mm. You could feel that child's presence, her energy. You could feel... You know, I I don't care if you're spiritual, not spiritual, but to me, I could feel a holy presence. Mm. It was, uh, it was, uh, I can't describe it and and do it, um, you know, do it justice. It was wonderful. It was healing. You know, we cried, all three of us. We knew that it was such a special moment. And then, you know, she said, the psychic said, uh, you know, this is the start. Uh, there are so many other people that need to be found. And so it started this journey of me trying to find all of the people, she said, who were still affected. And it took three years. And I, I, I agreed to do it. And, and um, then I asked her mother if she she would be okay with the book being written because I knew that this would go beyond those people who were stuck in trauma over this little girl's passing because there are so many people who were stuck in trauma um, after the loss of a loved one through through homicide. So um, wow. that's what this book is about. You it, were really it, used as a vessel. I think so. Uh, you really, yeah. I, you know, I understood that or I felt that when I was reading the info on you, but when you're describing it, I feel like you were like chosen 
uh, I guess maybe hence my question, woo woo, uh, you know, that you were chosen to be used as the person to, to create the healing and the trauma by writing this book. What was your relationship with uh, psychic mediums before this? Did you believe in them or? Uh, well, you know, I, I didn't really have very much connection at all with uh, spirituality. I mean, I had gone to church as a kid. My mother made sure I got to Sunday school, but, you know, um, I started exploring the whole spiritual realm when I started researching angels in the afterlife. And that happened because I went to a woman's retreat and, you know, I was meditating uh, quietly in my room and I was expressing or thinking about my frustration because I had always written nonfiction. But, you know, I was a very frustrated fiction writer. I wanted to write the next, you know, great novel. And I could never get it. I could never get it to a point where I thought it was worth publishing. And so I was thinking about that. And it was like I heard this, you know, how sometimes you, you can hear a thought so strongly it sounds like it's audible, like someone's talking to you. Yes. So... <laughs> Yes. So I heard a voice um, say, you have not been called to write fiction, you've been called to write the truth. And I had this really strong knowing that it was supposed to be people's um, encounters with um, people who've passed and, and the angelic realm. And, in fact, it, that voice was so strong, I opened my eyes and looked around the room, and there was nobody there, and I, the door was closed. I knew I hadn't heard, you know, because I was thinking the thought, and I was hearing an internal voice telling me, you know, write this book. So uh, that was the start of it all. In fact, um, the, getting back to the Jackie book, um, three years prior to Jackie's abduction uh, and murder, I was living in St. John, so 1992, and I had a very dear friend, um, his name was Donnie Bro, and he was, um, he was murdered in uptown St. John while walking home from Vito's, where he was a chef, uh, and I was uh, sent to cover that, that crime scene before I, I knew it was him. So that was the start, really. Um, so I would have been 27. Along with all of the other cases I had covered, this was really personal because he was as close to me as my own brother. Um, so all of that trauma plus his murder was, you know, I had suppressed all of that. And, I, and so um, I explored my healing from that trauma through, through the, the book. In fact, I write about Donnie in the Jackie book the healing after homicide. So, you know, I think that uh, I was called to write that book, you know, to help other people as well as myself um, through the trauma of losing loved ones uh, to her in horrific situations. So Laverne, I'd like to go back to that moment of meditation in that room when you're on the retreat. And it's interesting because Dane and I have had several people on the podcast of recent talk about meditation and the, the when you quiet the mind, like we, we are then become that catalyst, that open vessel for spirit, for messages, for clarity, for all of those things to come through. Was that the first time you had ever meditated? Uh, you know, I, 
I think so. You know, I dabbled in in a bit of it in university, but nothing, nothing. You know, of as a daily practice. And it's really hard uh, to quiet the mind. And you know, mm-hmm. we live in such a busy, you know, go 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 world that it takes practice. And so, yes, I I think that that um, so that would have been about ten years ago. And uh, that was an intentional thing. I started going to women's retreats to quiet, get quiet, to get away from, you know, the the chaos that our lives can be, especially as women where we play so many roles, um, you know, uh, juggling everything from our our families to our careers and, and you know, volunteerism and everything that we try to do. We try to be everything to all people. And sometimes, you know, if you do that and you don't pour back into yourself, you become this empty vessel with nothing to give to anybody, including yourself. So I started going to women's retreats, and I think that was the first time that I had intentionally gotten that quiet. And they say that, you know, meditation is, um, you know, if, if you are a spiritual person, if you believe in a higher power, uh, meditation is your way of communicating, you know, it's like picking up the phone and making a call mm-hmm. uh, to, to heaven. And um, when you get quiet enough and you're ready to listen, the Creator will answer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you get answers in many ways. You get answers through conversations uh, with other people, through experiences you have, and sometimes you will hear the voice of the Creator. I, I truly believe that to be the case. And is that the voice that you felt like you heard that was almost audible? I don't you... know. If, I don't know if it was the Creator, if it was the <laughs> angelic realm, if, you know, if it was my higher self. Yeah. I, my, you know, my. I, I have no idea. A successful you know, so, meditation, I would say, on the first go-round, <laughs> that you get quiet and, and, and you hear this message that you've been seems, seeking. Yeah. Write the truth. Right. Like, that's... Write the truth, Like, yeah. it couldn't well, be more you know, precise. <laughs> i got to tell you, ladies, um, as a journalist, we, you know, we're trained to be analytical, and, uh, uh, and uh, there's, this book was as far from that as possible. It was... It was taking a leap of faith. It was I had a real fear of, oh, what are people going to think? Right. You know, I spent my whole life as, as a journalist that, you know, based on fact and how can you prove the angelical realm exists and how can you prove that, you know, our loved ones who pass on, you know, are still with us uh, in spirit. You know, they're, I like to say they're just, after our loved ones die, they're just in the other room. The, the, the separation between here and where they are is very thin, like they call it the veil. Mm -hmm. It's just a very thin, like if you can imagine a a very sheer piece of fabric, it's that, the distance is so, it's so close. Um, So for me, I really worried about what this was going to do, how people would respond, if it would damage my career as a journalist. And, you know, maybe there were people um, who, you know, were looking at me like, oh, she's, the cheese has really slipped off the cracker. Uh, they, I never had anybody express that to me. In fact, that book uh, was, I think it was, um, it was number one uh, in Atlantic Canada for m- many, many weeks. Um, and I had people reach out to me um, 
and and want to share their experiences and and like literally thousands of people emailed me and and said thank you uh, thank you for doing this I, I now I know what I experienced is real because I, I I had the same experience or this happened to me or that happened to me and it's um, it was gratifying to know that you know there's a lot of people who would never talk about this sort of thing because they would worry that people would think, oh, well, you know, what's up with them? But yes. once they feel they, you know, that they're, it's safe to talk about, um, they, they really want to share their encounters with spirit and loved ones who've passed and, you know, the angelic realm and, and, and spirituality. And I think we've come so far in the last 10 years. It's, you know, it's like a matter of fact now for most people. Uh, there's still, you know, there are many people who still believe that, you know, this is it. You know, we are our bodies and once we die, you know, we're buried and, and that's the end of everything. But I think there's far more people um, who who are deep believers in, you know, a spiritual realm. Yes. And I, for me, it's like uh, if if there's if there is nothing beyond this, well, what have I lost? Yes, you know, by it, it provides comfort uh, knowing that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so much more than just a body. You know, we are souls in a body. The body is is the vessel that contains the essence of who we truly are, which is spirit. Yes, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're sitting here, and I mean, I've got goosebumps. I've had tears in my eyes. Like this conversation, Laverne is is the kind of conversations that Dane and I have a lot, but I've been having a lot with other people about this whole, like the coincidences and things that happen in life that that are so gobsmacking that when I tell people the stories after, like tell other people, they're like, that is so hard to believe. It's unbelievable, but it really happened. And you can't make this stuff yeah. up. See, I don't believe in co coincidence at all. I think the right yeah. people are put in your yes. path at the right time when you are ready to receive mm -hmm. whatever it is you were meant to receive. And, and spirit will make it happen. Right. And when we stopped downplaying it, like you could have easily had said, listen, psychic medium, I'm not taking that message to Jackie's mom, you know, and just left it there. But you feel like when you look at these things, you make sense of it. And, and, and I know for me, I make sense of it and it brings meaning to my life. You know, it makes me become more reflective about my role in this world and, and how I'm being used or what I'm being called to. Because I'm, I'm interested, you, you use the word called, you're called to write the truth, not fiction at that time. And then, then you said there was something that was released once you told some of these other stories, like the Jackie Clark story, that you were able then to switch to fiction. Yeah, it was like something opened up uh, inside of me, and then it just poured out. It was like I was blocked from writing fiction um, because, um, you know, of, you know, just being stuck. And once I was freed up, uh, emotionally, spiritually, from you know, a lot of things I had suppressed, and it just it started to flow. But getting back to that book and and saying yes to writing it, I didn't have a choice. That old spirit girl uh, would not leave me alone. I didn't, you know, she. I was dreaming about her. I would have, you know, recollections of things. I would be in places where, you know, 
the place where she was abducted. It was just everything. You know, for about four or five days, I could not rest. It was like she was... It, that's how her mother knew that this was real. She told me that I described her daughter's personality to a T when I said, she will not leave me alone. I cannot sleep. She's in my head talking to me. Find my mom. Find my mom. And finally I gave in to it was like a persistent eight-year-old girl who wanted her way and would not stop saying, I want you to find my mom. Will you call her now? Will you call her now? So that's how her mother knew it was real because she said that's who Jackie was in life. She would not give up until she got her way. She was a very determined little girl in life. So you and were actually said, experiencing these messages from Jackie as well? Like you felt oh, I like... I was having dreams about her. You know, like when I was sleeping, which was very rare, uh, over that week, week after I met with a psychic medium, it was very rare that I was able to rest. She was on my mind constantly through the day when I tried to lay my head down at night. I was dreaming about her. I woke up one night feeling uh, someone's hand on my shoulder shaking me awake. And I thought, you know, at the time, 10 years ago, my daughter was nine and my son was seven. So I thought, you know, it was common for them to wake up in the middle of the night and come find me and, and wake me up. So I thought it was one of them. So when, she, when I was shaken awake, I looked to, you know, over to my left where I thought they would be, and there was nobody there. And, and, and you know, I, uh, she was on my mind again. So that's why I gave in, because I thought, if I don't, I'm never going to get any rest. You had to <laughs> surrender to that. <laughs> I did. So then yeah. once you made the um, switch to fiction, I'm curious, because that, that's also about, like, the afterlife and spirituality and women. What are you trying to make sense of or communicate in the fiction that you're writing now? Well, you know, the first book, uh, Haunted Heart, is, you know, I call it a, a spooky, naughty, little paranormal romance. Fun. And, and it's based on um, a Victorian home I lived in, uh, in St. John. I moved into that house, and I think it was 1988, and I was there until 93. So, you know... Five years in this Victorian home. It was beautiful. It was fully furnished with original antiques and right down to the linens and silver. Uh, and it was a parsonage for the Anglican Church. And uh, so, it, so I based the fiction on on this house that I lived, where I experienced the haunting. It was the craziest thing. I was uh, it was a Sunday morning. I was getting ready to go to church with two roommates who lived in, on the the fourth floor, and my bedroom was on the third floor. And uh, so I was just standing in the hallway waiting for them to get ready. And um, I looked over my shoulder, and I saw this woman standing in you know Victorian era full dress bonnet you know, gloves and holding a Bible. And For sale sign would have been on the front line. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, it was one of those things where I looked and I looked again, you know, it was just like for a flash. It was just very quick. Why is it always so quick? <laughs> I, I, I think our, you know, our, our brain doesn't can't handle can't it. <laughs> grasp, can't grasp or shuts down or whatever. And I thought, 
oh, I did not just see that. I am not talking about that. That didn't happen. And so I went into denial, and then I went upstairs to check to see if my roommates were ready to go because I needed to get the heck out of there. (laughs) And uh, they were they knew that something had happened because I was shaking and literally the, they said I had no color in my face. I was like white as a sheet and shaking. And so, um, but, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't an, I lived there alone for a couple of those years and I, and I always felt a presence, but it was nothing that, um, that I felt, you know, it was nefarious in any way. It was a, almost like having a, you know, once my my earthly roommates moved out, I kind of still felt like I had company there. <laughs> so, they moved so out and you were alone? <laughs> yeah, no, I lived there for a couple of years, and, and I, I think, you know, she was, uh, like I said, it was an... It used to be the Anglican Church Parsonage, so I'm thinking, you know... That presence, that lady knew that we were off to church, and she was happy because she was standing there holding a Bible right. she was ready to go to. Oh, she God. was happy with you. Happy because we were on our way to church, and it was Sunday morning, and hallelujah. <laughs> and so that was the inspiration for your first book. Yes. It, it, it takes place in this Victorian mansion, and the, the, the main character uh, has inherited this place. She's the last remaining relative um, for the spinster woman who owned the property. So she inherits this property. She doesn't want it because as a child she remembers being taken there um, and she was sure the place was haunted. So it was scary to her. So she thought, okay, I'm going to come up from Boston where she was living, get the property ready for sale, sell it, and go back to her life in Boston. Well, there's a, an old Irish caretaker who's worked at the property for 50 years, and uh, she knows that this woman is not meant to sell this property and that the uh, ancestors in the past who came to a tragic end need her to fulfill a destiny that was denied to them um, by meeting uh, a certain man and then, you know, doing what was denied to her ancestor and the the man who's hired to restore the property. So, yeah, I describe it, like I said, as this paranormal. It's a funny, naughty little read. So, so, so is a book like you, that to introduce readers to the paranormal, to get them used to thinking about it? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I, um, you know, I think it's, it's something that, that can, it's a light little read, but it, it also opens up the, you know, a conversation about death and what happens after we die and spirit and, you know, our loved ones who are never really gone. They're only a thought away. Mm. Oh, I'm curious, uh, Laverne, obviously you're on a spiritual journey. You know, what are you learning from your spiritual journey? Oh, um, that, you know, that we... We are, we are all spiritual beings, and the vessel that we live in, the body, it, you know, it it will fail us. I'm I'm home recovering um, right now uh, from a, a heart operation that I had uh, recently, and um, so I'm. It's really knocked me back, you know, physically. Um, I, I don't have a lot of energy, but I'm recovering. 
so I know that our our bodies are, you know, they're 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 sometimes frail, and they, you know, we we don't last forever. Uh, eventually, our bodies give out, but I think the essence of who we are goes on. Um, whether you believe in um, an afterlife uh, or reincarnation, I, I think we are all, it's been proven that, you know, we are energy. Mm-hmm. Our, our whole makeup is, you know, uh, we've got energy running through us. So, When did you really happened. know that? Was that after you? When did you really come to know that? Was that after your experience with Jackie? No, I, I always knew that, you know, like from the time I was a kid, I, oh, really? I knew that there was so much more to to us than our physical bodies. Uh, you know, I, I grew, was taken to, to Sunday school, so I, I knew. You learned that on, in Sunday school? Because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you went to a different yeah. kind of Sunday school. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just, maybe maybe it wasn't Sunday school. I just always had this feeling of, of connection, connection. Uh, you know, uh, I I remember in um, when I was young, like really young, um, ten, twelve, I'd wander into churches, and it didn't matter what religion, you know, uh, synagogues, uh, churches, I would be drawn to them and, and want to go inside and just sit, and I always felt a connection to spirit. Yeah. Um, I, I've always had this real longing. Uh, to connect with, you know, spiritual presence, energy. Uh, it's it's the place I'm most comfortable is is being around like-minded people, um, talking about and experiencing um, the, you know, what's what the eye doesn't see and the ear doesn't hear. You know, it's it's the what the 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 spiritual realm has always been a source of fascination for me. That's interesting that you were drawn to churches at 10, that, that it felt like that you, you were able to have that connection for some reason that I, early. I don't, I don't really have no idea why, but mm. I've just always been, mystery. and it's not just for me, I don't attend church. Um, I just don't feel the need to go into a building on a particular day and sit and go through mo- the motion of a religious practice. How does For your me, spirituality show up now? It's 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 everything really. It's part of who I am. I I I always feel connected um, to to my spiritual self and source. Um, you know, some people call you know the creator source my higher power god whatever you want to call it i think it's all the same you can put any label you want on on that and it, to me it's all the same and mm. it really i feel badly when i you know hear the all of the religious differences and discourse and just there's no need because yes. when it boils when it comes right down to it it's all the same Yes, because it ends up creating more divisiveness rather uni- than unity, which is what we need is more coming together. And, and like I say, recognize ourselves as soul sisters and soul brothers, that we're more connected than we are not. We're more the same than which we is, are not. Which is what the world is craving, right? I mean, when, right. D- when Dane and I, like if, if we share a picture of us, 
you know, doing something, a group of girls, the most comments that we get from people who aren't in the room with us is like, oh, you know, what kind of cookies are you having? What are you talking about? Like the women are craving this and it goes back to what we started the conversation with. We are craving connection in a world that really wants us to be divided. And the thing is, we have so many means to connect. You know, I'm talking to you, you know, through a phone line right now, but we can, you know, we could have easily get got on Skype and, and seen one another face-to-face, or there's just, you know, social media makes it possible for us to connect more than we've ever been able to in history. However, yes. we are far more isolated, you know, we all than we ever have been, because we sit at home on our devices and we go through Facebook and Instagram and all of that, but... That doesn't connect us. No, you know, no. we don't look at one another eye to eye. We don't have that, you know, back and forth uh, that w- we did years ago before all of this. So, you know, even though these these um, social media platforms are great for many things, I think, you know, a lot of people are very lonely. And what better thing than to shut all of that stuff down and go out uh, and be with people and make that connection. Yes. And I think when, we, when you're talking about these kinds of conversations too, and what I find is people tend to be quiet about their spirituality unless you go first, then it unleashes the floodgates of people going, oh, I had this happen or I had that happen. Because I know when I started on this journey and as things began to start happen to me after my mother passed and I and I wrote a book and I, same thing, all these connections began to come clear and to create meaning and things continue to unfold that um, I felt like people are going to think I'm crazy if I write a book about this, uh, about these kinds of things. Like, who is Dana? It's like revealing who you really are. And But what I found is that people were drawn to it and wanted to talk about it and tell their stories, but they're not going to tell people publicly. But the number of people that would pull you to the side and 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 want comfort from your words, um, you know, I, I found it, that great. It, it's really true, Dana, because um, I, I found the same thing when I wrote Angels in the Afterlife. Um, when people read it, like I said, I had a lot of thousands of emails coming in saying, you know, thank you, and this happened to me too, and I've been afraid to talk about it and uh, because I didn't know what people would think. Well, like I said, I was scared to write that because I thought, what are people going to think? Yes. Um, in fact, I just had an author... A really well-known children's author uh, reached out to me um, about a month ago, and she said she uh, wanted to connect with me. And she she said, "You're you are b- very brave." And I thought, well, she must. I thought she was talking about the Healing After Homicide book, but. So then I said, oh, you're talking about that? And she said, no, I'm talking about Angels in the Afterlife. I just read it. And, um, and she said, you're really brave. And and um, I guess, you know, maybe it was or it was either brave or stupid. <laughs> but, I, but I'm, I'm you know, I don't regret it because, like I said, I, I listened, I, I wrote that book and, and it's just opened up all kinds of doors. Um, it led to the the Healing After Homicide uh, book, which, I mean, that that book was released a couple of years ago, and I, I'm getting, still get 
emails uh, a soldier who's living in Alberta uh, who suffered from PTSD uh, who told me that he was a teenager uh, who was part of that search party for Jackie, and that affected him, and it, it continues to affect him mm. um, because he felt he had failed her. And so that was the start of his trauma as a young, you know, like maybe 19, 20-year-old, just a real young soldier who was part of that search party. And so he he said he was going to get the book, read it, and then I said, get back to me after you've read it. And he did, and he said it was the start of his healing. So, you know, there's... There's just so much that has happened as a result of writing that first book. It led to the second book um, with so many people coming back to me, whether they knew Jackie in that situation or not, people who've been affected by trauma and uh, loss through violence have, have found healing and comfort from that book. And then, you know, like I said, answering that call to do that has opened me up and so now I'm writing all kinds of things Um, my next book is called The Seer it also explores the spiritual realm and um, and and healing from trauma so it's just a continuation um, from what was started about 10 years ago I I feel like the word impact comes up so greatly with you like you you continue to impact people with a book that you wrote and released a year or two ago or, and, uh, you know, having the soldier contact you. Do you th- ever, do you think about what your purpose is? Does that become clear to you or? Well, I, I'm, you know, I often think um, that, you know, I've always written and, you know, if, if maybe my purpose is, is to, help people find healing because um, I, I know that, it, you know, I needed to, to heal from a lot of trauma. Um, so it, I don't know if that's my purpose. I kind of feel like everything I write, um, it, the, the central theme is about trauma and healing and moving forward as healthy, whole human beings. Um and we, we can't do that un, unless we heal the emotional, spiritual side of ourselves. And as, you're, as you are helping to heal your emotional and spiritual health, that is a catalyst to help other people. And I think that that is an amazing message for people listening, that when we are whole ourselves, we are able to, as you said, fill the vessel. Like our vessel can fill and we are... Um, we are part of sort of the cog of humanity. You know, we're all here uh, on this earth for a purpose. You know, every single person on this planet has a purpose. I think we are born, um, you know, there are people uh, who are believers in the spiritual realm. Um, Oftentimes it's said that we come to earth to experience what it is to be human. Uh, to be born as a human is a difficult thing. You know, this isn't an easy thing to do. You know, no, we come into this life. <laughs> uh, we come into this life with this body, and we—I mean, it's hard to to 
to live every day in this body. It fails us sometimes, and we go through trauma and struggles, but all of this, um, I, I have a, um, there's a fellow in California, his name is Father Sean O'Leary, he's the spiritual director of Companions on the Journey, if anybody wants to look that up, uh, you can Google him and, and that. Uh, he is, he's become a mentor for me, and he's a, um, he no longer is uh, practicing as a Roman Catholic uh, priest. Um, he was invited not to be because <laughs> he, he, because his views on um, faith uh, are far outside the Catholic Church doctrine. Yeah. He, he believes that all faiths are valid, and we come to uh, the Creator in um, various ways, and they're all valid. You know, uh, and they all have something to teach us, whether it's Judaism, um, you know, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Taoism. It's there's something for us in all of that. So um, he's actually I based a character um, uh, of from him with his permission um, in Covenant of the Soul Sisters and my next book this year. Uh, so I believe that. You know, and he says that we we make the choice as souls to come to be born and to live on this this life, so that we can experience what it is to be human with all of its joys, but with its sorrows and its troubles too, because all of that is unknown in heaven. We don't apparently there's no pain once you leave the body. The soul doesn't experience pain. Um, it doesn't experience grief and trauma as we do as as human bodies and beings. So um, I think you know a lot of that is I'm rambling now, but but that's you know that's what I believe. It's it's uh, it's all experiences we have here that we you know that don't exist on the other side. Yes. Well, that well, that, that uh, this whole experience with you has been amazing conversation. I'm enjoying every piece of it, but it's right in our wheelhouse as soul sisters. <laughs> it, it is, and yes, and fascinating that you you know wrote a book. So Laverne, um, so we know that your next book is The Seer, and so what else is on the horizon for you right now? Uh, I have no idea. I'm open to anything that you know that comes my way. I, you know, I, I work uh, as a communications director at the at the provincial legislature, um, and uh, but you know, in my off time, I continue to explore the writing that I do um, that I enjoy, and I'm open to anything really. It's um, you know, when you open yourself up possibilities are endless right oh isn't they that sure the truth? Are, soul sister <laughs> and how can people find your books laverne uh so they're available in stores um uh and um and online through amazon and indigo um i i have about a thousand copies of various books <laughs> that are in my garage if anybody wants a signed copy i can you know mail it out to them but um contact me uh, through email at Laverne Stewart Author at gmail.com or go to my website, LavernStewart.com. Right. Wonderful. Wow. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. And just out of curiosity, when does The Seer come out, your next book? 
Um, so, so the the cover is is written, and I just sent it off to the publishing company. I would expect within the next month, two months. Okay. Yeah. So by Christmas, maybe the nice Christmas gift, stocking stuffer. Ho- hopefully, <laughs> you hopefully. Know, if not, they have a, a, lots of other choices. Yes, for yeah. a nice. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's three other books, or four other books actually. If you, yeah. the Angels in the Afterlife book is still available. Um, in, you can order that through stores. I don't know if stores still have physical copies, but you can order it in through any store, um, you know, that sells books. And uh, it's online, like I said, uh, Amazon and Indigo. You can order online. Uh, it's available in e, uh, you know, in e-books you know and printed versions. So... All, all four cop, all four books are still online and in stores. So lots of and places uh, for people to explore spirituality yeah. and get introduced to the afterlife. And, and I've got some reading yeah. to catch up yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm super intrigued by some of them. They're like, okay, yes. they're going to have to be on my yeah. my list of must-reads. So thank you for well, your I, time today. You're look, so so welcome, and thank you. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. Yes, we appreciate since you're resting at home, recovering yes. <laughs> even more so that yeah. you've given us your time. So we certainly appreciate that. Thanks. Oh, it's all good. I've been laying back and resting and, you know, I'm, I'm running my mouth, but resting my body. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about podcasting. I know. <laughs> Thanks, Laverne. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm Dana Lloyd. And I'm Elaine Shannon. You've been listening to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast. You can connect with Dana at DanaLloydLeadership.com. And you can connect with Elaine at ElaineShannon.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join us for more Soul Sister Conversations. Thanks for listening.